A new year, a new beginning. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of CFAL Talks. I am Pamela Ferguson, Vice President of Investments here at CFAL, and in today's episode, we'll continue with part two of the conversation with our esteemed CFAL Talks contributor, Angelo Butler. Angelo is a senior analyst here at CFAL and is also a chartered financial analyst with over 10 years of experience in the asset management and corporate advisory sectors. Angelo graduated from the College of the Bahamas, now the University of the Bahamas, with a Bachelor's of Business degree in Finance, and in that year, he received the CFA Society of the Bahamas Award for Outstanding Academic Achievements in Finance. Angelo also obtained his Master's of Business Administration degree from Beijing Normal University in Beijing, China. At CFAL, Angelo is responsible for the day-to-day management of the Securities Research and Analysis Department, which involves providing analysis of security data for international and local securities to inform investment managers and aid them in the investment process. Angelo is a member of the CFAL Investment Committee, which governs and oversees the investment strategy and plan for discretionary portfolios and the CFAL family of funds. Thank you, Angelo, for agreeing to this sit-down with us. So let's get right into it. So what role did education play, if any, in your growth and development to date? And what advice do you have for our public school educators on the importance of a good education? Um, I, I think education is, is the number one um, um, priority we should, we should focus on. I, I think it was good that, you know, you see now that UB and BTVI um, money has been invested to to fund those, I, you know, I think my seeing how much my mother particularly um, pushed us in terms of schooling and because she didn't have that opportunity. She wanted to go to school, couldn't afford it. Um, she just had to, you know, begin working and, you know, whatever happened, happened. Um, but, you know, since that, since that I, I've seen the value of, of education, I think it's the great equalizer. Um, you know, without it, I think you're just floating around on luck, right? Because, you know, a lot of jobs, employment require um, education. And if you don't have those, when those times come up, then what do you do? You know, you're depending on knowing someone or just being lucky, right? Other than, you know, a lot of people have experience as well. But, you know, what if the industry you work in is is phased out or that specific role is phased out and you don't have anything else um, to fall back on? So I, I think we have to push... Um, education, um, in terms of public educators, I think, you know, we need to continuously revamp the public system, look at making it more, um, effective and efficient, but it also takes parents, um, you know, driving and pushing that, um, because the kids don't understand it. You know, when I was 15, I didn't understand what uh, a meant versus a C. I mean, I knew what it meant, but in terms of life, I'm like, okay, I don't care. Just, I just want boss and get out of school. So, you know, I, I think we need to push education more. Um, I'm thankful that, you know, my parents saw fit to push us into that because even coming out of high school, I didn't want to go to, really want to go to college. You know, my dad did air conditioning sometimes in the summer, he would take me with him. 
So I was gonna, you know, just follow that train and go do that hard physical labor. <laughs> but, you know, she made me, um, you know, sign up and, you know, fortunately that's, I, I think that's how I am where I am today. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, my mom, um, wasn't able to help us, you know, with stuff, but she always told us, you need to get a good education. And she always pushed that, um, in, in terms of getting a good education. And, um, I remember, like you said, I remember with my niece, I pushed that with her as well. And I'm like, when she got out of, um, when she graduated from, uh, COB, it was to, for us, the village, there was no question she was going off to school. And so one day she was talking and she's like, oh, you know, I even want to go off to school. I said, hey, no, 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 no. You're going off to school. You're coming off this rock to understand that there's a life outside of here to get that experience is to come back and make a, a positive contribution to society. So I think education is so important. And I, I encourage our educators to do really try to do more, try to do more to push it. Everybody may not follow the path of a doctor or a lawyer or an accountant or financial analyst, but I think they should get a really good basic education so that whichever field they go into, they can do well. And, and I think too, you know, a lot of people say, oh, young and ever use this or, or younger, um, you know, some of these things they teach in you, you, it don't relate. But I think, you know, education is to open your mind and, and expose you to things. You know, it's not for you to remember 2x plus 3x equals this, but it's just to tell you that, okay, this number um, or this calculation affects physics and how physics affects life. So you understand everything, not just, I think people want, okay, if my job required me to write ABC, they want something that just says, this is how to write ABC. But I think education is about telling you that, like you said, you know, there's A, B, C, D, E, F. There's the entire alphabet. You can write it in print or cursive. Um, there's different languages. So it, it's, it's more about exposure. And I think people just think that, you know, let me take from this just what I need to pass an exam. Uh, and that's it. But, you know, even in, you know, teaching finance, it's, you know, like you Explaining government bonds, like everyone at some point has a pension or, or NIB, if you're saving through NIB, NIB invests in government bonds. Your parents may have retirement savings that they need help with. So you understanding what government bonds is and how they work, there's no negative to that, in my opinion. And so I think those type of things we need to get, um, you know, people need to be educated on um, so they can make better decisions for themselves, their families, their lives. And and that just benefits the country as a whole. Yeah, and 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 as an encouragement to to public educators, you know, uh, a good quality education is one of the key components to economic growth. So we're talking about growing the economy. If you don't have uh, a good educated workforce, then economic growth is not going to happen. And so it goes hand in hand with good quality education. And even to th to that, you know. Um, like you said, with economic growth, a big part of economic growth is businesses and, and entrepreneurs. And even, you know, the education, I think, helps everyone. Because if you're an entrepreneur and you don't know how to do basic accounting, you, you could that alone could cause your business to fail. And so just having, you know, that broad exposure, I think, especially now that it's free, per say, well, paid for by the government, I, I think persons should take advantage of that and, and 
use that opportunity as much as possible because you may not want to be an entrepreneur forever, but you'll always have that education. You can always fall back on that. So describe one of your toughest financial challenges and how you overcame it. Um, I think this happened when I was um, very young per se. I, I think I might have been 18, um, going on to 19, and I would have gotten a credit card. And I think, I think everyone at some point in their life has had this experience. You know, you get the credit card and you say, you know, I can pay this off every time I get um, paid or every time I get money, I'm going to pay this off. And you find yourself um, spending money on things you would not ordinarily purchase. And so, you know, I started off, um, I put maybe $200 on the card and then I paid that off. And then I started spending more and buying things. And, you know, all of that eventually add, added up and the card was kind of maxed out. And, you know, I quickly told myself, I was like, okay, the interest rate on this is almost 18%. This isn't making sense. It's, you know, some of these things I would not have bought if I had to pay cash up front. And so, you know, I stopped spending on it. Um, every month I paid like $300 on it or so until I got it. Um, fully paid down. And since then, I've never used the credit card for something that I didn't have the cash for. And I, I mean, there are emergencies from time to time, but, you know, if I don't have the cash, I mostly use it as a safety feature now. Um, you know, I swipe it and then I pay it because I, I see, saw very quickly how you go from paying everything off to buying something you didn't need. And, you know, you max out your credit card and, you know, the the charges on that, if you're just making minimum payments, you'll never pay that off. So I, I learned quickly about that. And I think credit cards is, is one thing we need to also educate people on how they work. Because, you know, a lot of people say, I only have to pay $100. Or I don't have to make the minimum payment. I get a low payment. But they don't understand what that means for them um, in terms of getting out of that debt. So what financial work ethics advice would you give to the young adult who has recently graduated from university and is looking for a job? What do they need to know or do now today to set themselves up for financial success? Well, I, I think too, um, and I know it won't be the case for everyone, but you know, as you start to get in your third and, and fourth year of of university, I think that's a good time to get your feet in the door somewhere. Um, you know, because once you're in, if, if something comes up, the minute you graduate, it's possible you can transition, um, into a role or, or some, some persons prefer not to work. They just want to do, um, but same time while you're in university, I think you have to build, um, good relationships, not just with students, but with the lecturers, the, you know, members of the, um, administrative component of the university, you know, use that time to show and, and leave a good reputation because, um, you know, that you'll need those persons to write you reference letters and resumes or, or recommendation um, if, if something comes up. So, you know, don't take those university years for granted because people are watching and they're observing. And when someone asks them, hey, do you know a student who recently graduated? You know, they may say, oh, this person, I remember, they had a good work ethic. Um, they came through. So I, I think that's, um, you know, something good to work on. And I think, like I said, the minute you start working, um, see what you can save and let that come out first. Before you even build any sort of lifestyle with expenses and so forth, you know, say if 10% is your number or 20%, 
set that aside and, and find a way to, if you can, live off the rest. Write out a budget, see exactly all the stuff you need. You know, you give yourself room for entertainment and going out and traveling and all of that. But get in the habit of very early on taking that money out first before you build any life lifestyle because over time it's going to get harder as you get older and older. You know, and I say to, to young persons who are probably even looking for a job, not to despise humble beginning. Because, you know, sometimes people come when they graduate, they have this perception that I want this particular job in this particular um, position. I remember when I graduated, um, I just wanted a job. I just, I just needed a job. And I had applied to one of the offshore banks. And um, I just, I did my research and I went and I interviewed. And when I got that job, you know, persons like who know me, if I knew anybody there, did you know anybody? I said, no, I didn't know a soul. But I interviewed and I started out just filing. And, you know, that was good for me. It was easy. I was just filing. <laughs> I was no pressure because there was a lot of pressure going on in the department, right? It was no pressure. And But what I was doing, though, I was reading the files. And so actually that helped me. And so when they took me off of filing and they put me on the desk, I had a bit of understanding of what was going on because I was reading those files. And so I say to young person, just have humble beginning and work hard and not to always look for the pain up front. Sometimes you may have to go the extra mile and don't get paid, but you're learning and you're growing. And then that next opportunity, you'll be able to use that experience that you have, have, have garnered from that job to get the higher um, um, pay. So I just say to persons, you know, don't despise humble beginning, work hard, push yourself and not always look for the money for everything you do. Yeah. And, you know, when I um, had graduated, I was pretty much a teller, um, making a basic um, salary. And, you know, our department, we ended up working a lot, like, if there was something another department didn't want to do or or the managers needed it done quickly, they would just send it to us. And so, you know, we would work like nonstop. And, you know, I just took that as, you know, I'm learning a lot. I, I learned, I was a teller, but I was learning about government bonds, about foreign exchange, um, exchange control, because I worked at Central Bank during that time. And, you know, I just, whatever they sent, I did. You know, I didn't complain. I think if you're 21, 22 you know, you can't be saying the same my job description. If, if your goal is to get somewhere, you know, I would say take that, use it for as much experience as, as you possibly can. Because um, there's going to be a time when you get old and you're like, okay, the same my job description, but you'll be more settled and in a more comfortable role. But if you're 18, 19, 20, just do, from my experience, just do the work, take it in stride and, and, you know, over time, I think it'll pay off. Yeah. Be hungry for knowledge and hungry to grow uh, where you are. So one of the strategies promoted by CFAL that's essential for stable income security during retirement is the three-leg stool concept. While you are well on your way, Angelo, with this concept, which includes savings and investments, contribution to a social security account, or in our case, national insurance fund, and having an active retirement account, the central bank in a survey a few years ago revealed that less than 50% of us Bahamians have $1,000 or more in our bank accounts. Why do you suppose we don't save or find it difficult 
to save. Okay, I've seen that um statistic a few times, and I, you know, I just separate from the point. I I just wonder, like, what's the the actual percentage of Bahamians that don't have one thousand dollars? Because I have two bank accounts, and very rarely do I have more than one thousand dollars in those accounts. Because you know, I don't believe you save money um in bank accounts. You really keep what you um need. So I, you know, I think I guess more study could be used to determine what's the exact percentage of Bahamians rather than just looking at the um, bank accounts. But, you know, to the point, I think, um, as you mentioned earlier, the cost of living here is a bit um, high. It's, you know, you see these studies that say it's one of the more expensive places in the world to live. Um, you know, we import everything. Um, we're, you know, an island chain and not in the middle of nowhere, but we're out here by ourselves, um, which makes, you know, things more expensive. And, um, you know, particularly things like energy costs, um, you know, those things are just significant, I don't know if to say burdens or weights um, on prices in the economy. And so, um, you know, I think inflation does play a role. And, you know, we're seeing now inflation is at levels it's never been in, you know, decades, um, given issues with the pandemic and the amount of stimulus that um, governments have provided. So, you know, it, it, it is there, but, you know, the important thing is it's always going to be there. You know, inflation has never stopped. doesn't seem like it ever will. And, you know, simply put, wages in a lot of cases have not um, kept up. You see our minimum wage. Um, you know, I think we all can agree that, you know, it's not livable or close to it. Um, so we do need to look at um, increasing the minimum wage um, and also providing stable increases um, over time as opposed to these 10-year adjustments where, you know, it stays at one level. Um, so find better ways to incorporate that um, to improve people people's lives. Um, and the government also, I guess, needs to provide more um, social support. Um, you know, persons who have, you know, wages that are not livable, the government provides some sort of help to those um, individuals to cope with the cost of living and um, so I think we do need a greater um, social safety net. I think we need to get, um, but to facilitate that, you'll have to get more, you know, more taxes from the sectors of the economy that make up the greatest um, percentage and also get more, I guess, high paying and productive um, quality jobs. Um, you know, all of that, I think, will will go a long way to helping with the challenges of saving. Um, and lastly, I think we can't avoid the consumerism and materialistic um, qualities that we see widespread, I think, um, in our country, because a lot of people make decent money and still find themselves unable to save because of, you know, previous expenses or standards of living that they have. So how do you balance that, though? Because the U.S., two thirds of the U.S.'s GDP is consumer spending and we need consumers to spend that's how the retailers and the wholesalers make money. We have to spend. So how do you balance that consumerism with the, the need to save and invest in the economy? Well, I, I think you, you know, the U.S. itself is, I don't know if to say its model is unsustainable, but, you know, the fact that they constantly need people to buy goods on credit in a lot of cases is just not sustainable. And then any time that credit is choked or, or stifled, you see the economy go into some sort of 
decline or recession. And so I don't think here we want to build an economy where it's dependent on Bahamians borrowing money to buy goods. Um, I, you know, I think if we get, if we can extract more from the tourists, which make up a greater portion of the economy, so get more spending out of them, get more spending out of the foreigners that, you know, make this a second home, the foreign companies that are here, get more taxes out of them, um, reduce the tax burden on Bahamians, um, make, you know, electricity more um, efficient. I, I think all of those things um, would help, but I don't think long-term we want to build an economy that depends on credit stimulating, especially non-investment assets. You know, if you're borrowing money to build a house or um, to make a business or make an investment, yes. But if you're borrowing money to go on vacation, you know, that's a very short-term spending boost for the economy. And I also think force savings, I think should be um, implemented where we encourage um, those who work to put something aside to be saved because um, us being a pension um, administration company, we've seen situations where, you know, the plan sponsor allowed persons uh, in the plan to withdraw funds out of the plan for maybe they're they're purchasing a home or uh, some um, important asset that will help them down the road, they allow exceptions and allow persons to access the savings um, for that. So I think there needs to be an encouragement to force that type of saving to create that stronger safety net for persons during a time when they do not have work. They can rely on some source of income without solely relying on the national insurance um, fund to, to sustain them. Yeah, and I... You know, I always stress it, you know, the younger you can start that, I think the better it is because at 20, to save up for a comfortable retirement, you may only need $50 a month or $100. But if you wait till you're 45 and 50 and, you know, something happens, let's say you're unable to work anymore, you know, you find yourself really um, dependent or or needing um, assistance from the government. And, you know, a lot of people... And it's probably the truth that the assistance you get is not sufficient, right? Very rarely do the social um, supports be everything that you need. Um, so I think we have to get that ingrained into young persons coming into the workforce to avoid another 20, 30 years where we find, you know, kind of repeating the same thing. And, and like I said, if the government says tomorrow NIB is going up 2%, you don't tell them no. You know, it, it just, it goes up and you have to adjust and find a way. So find a way to get it out before you get any money, before you build your lifestyle, before you build habits. And, you know, a lot of people too say, um, you know, some people don't live to see their retirement or, but if you have kids, you leave behind, um, you know, you don't want to leave your wife struggling or your husband struggling, your kids dependent on because like I said, there's a lot of challenges already. So if you can put them in a better position, even if you don't enjoy it, um, you know, that has to be the mindset. What, um, Angelo, do you think are some of the best practices for a healthy financial future? Um, so it's, you know, it's multiple things um, that you would do. You know, you, you always hear about budgeting um, or just understanding what your day-to-day expenses are. Um, you know, I have a pretty good understanding of my expenses, how much I could save. And then I always compare that to what I actually did save. You know, I say, okay, you spend too much money this year. Maybe you need to cut this out or cut that out. But, 
you know, I have a good idea of what I need to survive. You know, I know exactly what number I need um, to survive on a monthly basis. Um, and then I also, you know, it's important to avo- avoid um, lifestyle inflation. Um, inflation itself is going to happen. You know, prices are going to go up. Um, and like I said, if you know, every time you get more money, you spend more money, you find yourself just trapped in this revolving cycle and you're just as, you know, tight as, as you were before. And like you said, you know, there's a three-pronged strategy. You have your NIB, you have your personal avoiding the societal prayer pressure because it's very strong and social media, it's especially, you know, you have to really avoid getting caught up in that. And, you know, just keep looking for ways to better yourself, ways to um, improve your salary or, you know, earn other sources of income um, if what you're currently making isn't sufficient. Um, so, you know, it's, a, I guess, a, a list of things. You know, my mom always told us growing up to never grudge anybody for what they have because we don't know what they did, good or bad, to get where um, they are at that particular point. So, you know, I say to persons, you know, try to live below your means. Don't spend 100% of the dollar. Always leave something over and not allow yourself to be pressured, like you say, societal pressure, to be pressured to fit in or to make or make people feel that you are more successful uh, or more wealthy than you really are. Just keep it simple. And I think if you can follow those principles, I think they'll be well on their way um, to securing a healthy financial future. Well, Angelo, this was an awesome conversation. I so appreciate you agreeing to do this. We have come to the end of another episode of the C-File Talks. Thank you so much again for having this discussion and thank you, audience, for tuning in. If you enjoyed this podcast, please send us a note at info at cfile.com or visit our website at www.cfile.com and show your support. Thank you to Cfile for sponsoring this episode. Until next time. Mm-hmm.